Okay, we're back to podcast. Wednesday night, Wednesday night. Now, next Wednesday, remember, we will be in person starting in Genesis. But tonight, we're going to Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter 2, great, great chapter in the Bible. Only 28 verses. So let's jump into them. All right, verse number 1. And he, and again, he entered into Capernaum. You'll find that he's in Capernaum a lot, teaching, preaching, healing. After some days, it was noise that he was in the house, so it could not be withheld. It could not be hidden that Jesus was in the house when he came into Capernaum. And he had been preaching, he had been healing, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Notice Jesus is always preaching the word of God. He is not preaching about the word. He is not giving jokes. He is not uh, telling cat and dog stories and grandma and grandpa stories. He is preaching the word of God. And because of that, he has attracted a, a huge crowd. So there's a great crowd as a result of Jesus preaching the Word of God. So let's look at what this story is entailed. This, this story makes me think of Kevin Bean. And you'll know why when we get into this. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So there are four friends four friends. It's been noted as of late, I've seen actually on social media, that it does matter who your friends are. I would agree with that. This fellow's got great friends. This man is palsied. Have you ever heard of cerebral palsy? David Ring, a preacher, a noted preacher, I know Samuel's mentioned him, uh, has palsy. There's a Bell's palsy, but this is more of a cerebral palsy where it begins to afflict the muscles and the, the skeletal features in your body, your face, your hands and arms. And this, this fella can't move. This fella can't walk. He is palsied to the degree that he, he, he's immobile. He's laid out on a bed. He's laid out on a stretcher. But the Bible says these folks are under such a burden for, for this, this man that four of his friends take up his bed. Four of his friends, that would be one at each corner in an effort to get him to Jesus. He can't walk to Jesus. He can't get to Jesus on his own. He, he can't approach Jesus on his own. But these friends are under such concern for him, such love for him, such care for him, that they want to bring him to Jesus. They, they want to get him to the feet of the Savior. Okay, that that's that's what the situation is. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is is the the depth and the magnitude of how bad off how bad off he is. He can't get to Jesus on his own. And folks, people can't get to the Jesus typically speaking that's the that's the situation that they're in they're they're so deadened they're so broken they're so finished if you please they're in such a bad way of sin and in depth of sin that they can't get to Jesus on their own they 
they, ladies and gentlemen, were under such a burden for him that they bind together. Now, that would require them sharing a few things. Number one, it would require them sharing their concern for this palsied man. They love him. They care for him. They're concerned for him. Number two, it would require that they work together. Now, that illustrates the problem in most churches of our day. Number one, there's no concern. There's no love of people. And then when you do see a concern and a love of people, you'll see where people can't work together. Amen? I mean, that's, that's it. And, and that's a shame. It's a shame. Now we see why you don't see people saved. Now you see why you don't see as many people saved as you used to. Number one, no concern. Number two, people don't want to work together to see it happen. They're more concerned about hang-ups and being mad and being upset and having problems, fussing, fighting. They're more concerned with their place in the church and their role in the church and their, the church being as it always has been. Just junk. Just a bunch of religious junk. These people love this man and these people... You know what? And the fact of the matter is they may have had disagreements. They may not have even liked each other, but it, they were willing to work together to see the end goal accomplished. And there's plenty of people that you're going to go to church with. If you are wanting to go to church with, with just everyone that you just totally adore and like, then you're never going to go to church because there's always going to be people in, in any group of people that you don't like. You go to work when there's people you don't like. You go to Walmart when there's people you don't like. You go to a restaurant when, when you might not like someone. And sometimes you've got to learn to put differences aside because the end goal is getting people to Jesus. And there you go. We've got four people. The crowd is large. And the Bible says no room about the door in verse 2. You couldn't even get in the door. You couldn't get in the door of this place. The room's packed. I've preached in some situations like that. Verse 3, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So four people have bound together with the same goal, and that's getting this palsied man to Jesus Christ. Verse 4, when they could not come nigh to him for the press. So the press was so large, the crowd was so vast that they couldn't get to him. They couldn't proceed further. They uncovered the roof where he was. So these there would be flat roofs in these days. And it is always that. It's still like that. But, you know, Bathsheba was bathing on a roof, and they would look at sunsets on their roof, and they would dine on the roof sometimes, bathe on the roof, um, fellowship on the roof. And so... The roofs would be flat. But folks, this is a job. They are hauling this man dead weight. I don't know. I, I, you, he's unable to help them whatsoever. Complete dead weight. And they pick this man up, one on each corner of the bed, and they go to such effort that they take him to the top of the roof. Now, that would... That would just throw some people off right there. They're not going to go to that much effort to get anybody help. But these people loved this man enough, cared enough about him, 
under enough of a, a load and burden for him that they're willing to take him to the rooftop. And then when they get to the rooftop, the Bible says, look here with me in verse 4, they uncovered the roof where he was. So they and when they had broken it up, so this roof would be made up of tiles. They had to actually break through the roof. You know, we're not broken much. We're not broken much. I preach to myself after so long of doing this, so long being in it, so long of being at church, so long at preaching, so, so long of doing it, you can get to the place where you're not as broken over lost people as you used to be. That's why I told you I, you would think of Kevin. Kevin has been saved for many years. I think he just got saved about a year or two after I got saved. And he has not lost one iota of his burden for sinners. He's broken up over sinners. I've seen him uh, spiritually and, and emotionally broken up over sinners. And I commend him for that. That's a heart. That's a, that's a heart for God and a heart for the lost. And that's what these people did. They went to the effort. They worked together, number one, put aside every difference they had. They made the effort to get him to the top of the roof. And when they got up there, they broke up the roof. And now notice what the Bible says they did. Verse 4. And they had broken it up. They let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So they basically took this man to the top of the building, broke the roof open, dropped the man, obviously with cords, down to where Jesus is to get the attention of Jesus. Now, here's, here's something fascinating. When Jesus saw, verse 5, look, when Jesus saw their faith. This is really a, a Sunday morning message. But I can't help but to show you from the Word of God that Jesus saved Jesus will heal this man, not as a result of his faith. He has no faith. He is a sinner. He is helpless. He is faithless. When Jesus saw the faith of these four individuals, look at that. Can I tell you that if you get under the load, under the burden, under the weight, and you make the effort and you're willing to work together... Jesus will honor your faith enough to save those lost loved ones. When Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That blows my mind. He saw their faith, and he saved him. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. There always is. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. He said, I got, I, I got something for you. You want to you wanna blast me? You want to talk about me? You want to reason in your hearts? Because I told him that his sins were forgiven. 
I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell, I'll tell him to take up his bed and walk, too. Every one of you seen him get dropped down into this room. So I'll show you how much power I got. I don't just have power to forgive his sins. I got power for this man that every one of you know has been laid sick of the palsy for his entire life, and he's gotten worse. I'm telling him to walk, and he's getting up and walking, and he's taking his bedroll out of there. That shows you who I am, is what Jesus is saying. And immediately he arose up. And the Bible says he rose up, verse 12, Mark 2, took up the bed, went forth before them all, and so much that they were all amazed. Everyone there was amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. And boy, what a thing to be able to say about a church, about a ministry, about your church life, about your Christian life. We never saw it on this fashion. Never saw it on this fashion. All right, let's move Let's move on to the next set of verses here. Verse 13, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, this is the call of Matthew. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, because he's a tax collector. He's, that's, he's there where they receive custom, where they receive tribute, their taxes. Matthew's there, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. So now Jesus is saving the tax man. What a blessing. And he arose and he followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, so he saved him, and then he went to eat with him. Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. So he is attracting the publicans and the sinners. He's attracting these lost people to him. They want him to change their lives as well. What a what a savior. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him meet with publicans and sinners, this is the first accusation. They talked among themselves, but this is a, a public accusation, and it's basically one of the things that they're going to use against him later on down the road at his fake and his mock trial. It's what they hate about him. They said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, I, it doesn't say he's doing everything they're doing. It doesn't say he's talking like they're talking. It doesn't say he's completely acting like they're acting. What it does say is that he's sitting with them and he's eating, and he's drinking with them. He loves them enough, and he wants them to know that he's not concerned about what the crowd says. He's not concerned with what the religious establishment says. He loves the sinners enough to eat with them, to sit, to fellowship with them. Now watch verse 16. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him meet with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now Jesus overheard this. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now that's exactly what I say to modern churches. I remember in kind of the mock public interview I've done before starting Bethany um, and these hard quote what well, they weren't hard there wasn't one of them hard not one but the questionnaire that I you know that folks asked me and had for me um, 
before we started Bethany. And it was it was public. And it was asked, one thing was said, a statement was made that I, I feel like you're trying to change the church. Wow. That tells you all you need to know right there. Tells you all you need to know right there. Sometimes when a church has many, many problems, there needs to be changes made. When people leave in droves, there needs to be some changes made. And it illustrated vividly the problem in most of our churches today. They would rather rest on their leaves and their laurels. They would rather things be status quo than things be shaken up, even if it means the saving of souls and the changing of lives. So, that's their concern. And now notice Jesus' answer. Verse 17, I didn't call the righteous. I'm calling the sin. I come for the sinners. He says those that are whole don't need a doctor. It's those that sick that need a doctor. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, they asked, and come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. And then he gives a, a great parable. That one lady I, I know today, saved, serving God, loves Jesus as much as anybody I know of. She got saved from this from these verses right here. And it's, it speaks and it rebukes religion. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. In other words... If you were just trying to patch up an old bottle, say in in the way that they would, the way that they would bottle wine in those days and drink would be it, it was it would be in skins. Okay, it'd be I mean it'd be in a different type of animal skin. And when it would when you would bust one open, you crack the seal if you please. You, you'd open one up, then you want to use that again. Okay, because that that process, the process of making uh, the the wine, the process of making the drink, it all took place within that bottle together. Well, once it was used, once the wine was poured out, the seal was cracked. To try to reuse it, it would have been weakened at this point, and the new wine coming into the old old skin would actually burst the skin and it would be good for nothing. And he's saying you can't put this new wine into an old bottle and new skin. You need a new skin, new bottle for the new wine. And you know, that speaks of religion. That, that teaches us about religion. A lot of people just try to patch up an old life. They try to patch up bad manners. They try to patch up bad decisions. They try to patch up things that they've done when you don't need to patch up you need a whole new 
life. You need to, uh, to be born again. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the text. That's the analogy. And he's driving it home to these religious people. And he's telling them the problem is you're trying to patch something. You're trying to fix something. You're trying to repair something. That's not what you need. You need to be made new again. Your religion's just patching you up. You want to close verses 23 through 28. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. This is the Sabbath. Now he's getting ready to demonstrate and illustrate for us that he's the God over the Sabbath. The Pharisees said unto him, Behold, that means look, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? He said unto them, hey, he didn't do it, by the way. And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was in hunger? He and the, they that were with him. This is a reference to Psalm 34, uh, or where he was in Psalm 34 when David and, and his men, um, they eat of the showbread, you know, on the Sabbath and uh, verse 26, And how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also unto them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So what he's saying here is the, the religion is made for man, not man for the religion. In other words... The Sabbath and these things that the law taught and these, these things that we should do, they're made to, to help our lives, but we're not confined to them any more than except for just our, our responsibility to Jesus Christ. And they're trying to hang him up on a technicality, as is their, their method throughout. And Jesus is teaching them over and over with these illustrations, with these examples in Mark chapter number 2. The first lesson that he's teaching mankind, he said repent in Mark 1, but in Mark 2 he comes about teaching against religion. And so immediately in Jesus' ministry, he begins to mark lines of division with he and the religious crowd. And it, it will be that way for the next three and a half years and the next accounts of the entire Bible. Jesus will be in opposition to religion. Jesus is still in opposition to religion. For you see, religion without Jesus, religion without the Word of God, religion without obedience to it is just dead and dry as corn shucks and dead men's bones. And the Word of God is very plain that Jesus comes and sets the precedent and establishes himself in opposition to religion. That's what we see. We see that with the man born of the palsy. And then we see that now with the eating of the corn on the Sabbath day. So this starts the process of basically Jesus getting crucified. It starts with him being a friend of sinners. And then it continues from that particular point to the place where Jesus is being accused now of eating bread or eating corn on the Sabbath day or his disciples doing so. So this starts it, and we'll finish it by the time we're done with this book of the Bible. I hope you've enjoyed Jesus and religion in Mark chapter number 2. I love you all. Have a great week. I will see you Sunday.